your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 310 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Today's episode is brought to you by The Locker Room. Download The Locker Room app and join Pilsy and I this weekend on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. to get in on the conversation. It's interactive radio, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Really excited to head into the weekend with another great interview. Friend of the show, Ian Mendez from The Athletic will be on a little bit later. We'll get into the results from a Send Fan survey that he put up. It was 25 questions long. It answered everything you could possibly need to know about the pulse of this Send Fan base. So it'll be a fun conversation there. We've got some trivia for him as well. So looking forward to that. We also have a full weekend preview. The Ottawa Senators in Winnipeg. Two more road games, one more at home. Oh, this season is winding down a little quicker than any of us would like to see with the Sens having eight wins in their last 11 games. But still have Belleville going, and they have reinforcements on their way. Ridley Gregg will make his return after the conclusion of his WHL season and then get rocking for Robbie Arventi's AHL debut. We'll tee that all up and more. This is the Locked On Senate Podcast. Your team every day. Today is Friday, May 7th in Pilsy. I'm not ready to say goodbye to the 2021 Ottawa Senators. Not like this. Not when they're so exciting to watch. Not when they're on such a hot streak. All the young guys are getting opportunities now. This, I really wish we had more of an extended season now. If you would have asked me in the first 15 games, do I want an 82-game season, season, I probably would have said, no, let's cut 56 down to 41 and really kind of cut that back half off. But now the back half of this season has been so exciting for this Ottawa Senators team, and it's a shame there's only three games left. I tweeted out at Send Central, how many games would this season have needed to be For Ottawa to sneak into the playoffs, the options I gave 65 games, 72, 82, or you're dreaming, bro. Where would you vote on that? I voted 72, and uh, I I realized that wasn't the majority of the answer. I think a lot of people said 82, but I actually think if the season would have stretched to 82, they would have fallen off a little bit. I think 72 would be just enough to keep them hot and allow them to bounce over the fragilent Montreal Canadiens and just sneak in at that fourth spot. But if it goes to 82 games, I don't know if this team has it in them to keep it going the whole time. So 72 was that sweet spot for me. Yeah, 82 wins with 41% of the vote, followed by 72, 36%, and 17% think it would have only taken 65 games. 5% told me that I'm dreaming, bro, but that's all good. While I'm on my Twitter feed, before we get into a full preview of tomorrow's game, I want to shout out Sassy Saslov, which is uh, quite the handle as well. But Josh Saslov, he tweets uh, at us, he tagged us, and we appreciate that, mentioning that on April 6th, the Ottawa Senators hired Zach Burke, who spoke to the media yesterday. I thought that was pretty rare for the goalie coach to have a full press conference. I really liked what I heard from him. But as of April 12th, the Sens were allowing 3.81 goals per game. And that's 42 games in. And on May 6th, in the last 11, they're allowing... 1.82 goals per game. So in a month, he says that Burke has given our goalies confidence. How much would you credit Burke to the quick turnaround of this defensive-minded team? I mean, the numbers are there. And uh, shout out, that's a great tweet, uh, great stats there. So thanks for that. And I I just think sometimes it's not all about who the person is coming in, but just the fact that there's change, right? I think sometimes – Hockey players will tell you they're not sick of the coaches as people. It's just kind of the the methods they use and working on the same things and kind of the same kind of routine day in and day out. Sometimes all you need is 
a change for better or for worse, just some new kind of routine to work on different things or to look at different things in a different light. So I think Zach Burke, obviously we're not in the room. We're not on the ice. We don't know exactly what he's doing with these goalies. That is different from before, but you got to give him credit. Obviously the goalies are playing better since his arrival. One goalie who people thought had a relationship with Zach Burke turns out they didn't previously was Joey Decord because Zach Burke coming from Arizona where Joey's dad is the assistant GM. Now you thought maybe there was something there. Turns out there wasn't But Pilsy. How awesome was it yesterday to see Joey Decord back on the ice for the first time, at least publicly Kyle Bukoskis caught him on camera there since his uh, lower body will call. I think people know it's an ankle now, but uh, it's awesome to see him back on the ice, whether or not he gets into a game in the final three this season. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, we're a big Joey Decord uh, stand podcast. We've had him on the show multiple times, and he's a great guest, great dude, and great goalie. And I think that's another reason why I wish this season would stretch to 72 games. Hey, eh, Ross, it would be so good to get Joey Decord back in the net, to get Matt Murray back in the net. Just It just sucks having the season end like that for them because both of those guys were playing good down, down the stretch where they were healthy, and especially – Joey had a huge opportunity to take over the net and it looked like he was going to do just that until that unfortunate injury happened. So it's, it's too bad, but it's great to see Joey's looking good. He's back on the ice and he's going to be ready than ever come the start of next season. I can tell you that. Too bad. You can't play multiple goalies at once. Hey, especially with the way Forsberg's playing in the last couple of games as well. And I don't know if we're ever going to see Marcus Hogberg again, but I wouldn't mind franchise getting a couple more, but you'd expect that Philip Gustafson will go down to Belleville and finish out the season as their starter. But then they have a juggling act too, because Matt Sogard played so well. Good problems to have Pilsy heading into the expansion draft where we're pretty sure one of those guys is going to get scooped up. Yeah, it seems almost for certain that it's going to be a goalie from the Ottawa Senators. And hey, we didn't we only touched on it a little bit yesterday, but I want to give a bigger shout out. Shout out Anton Forsberg for getting a new contract. Like this guy went through five different teams this season. He's got a, a young family that he's trying to figure out how to locate, what to do. All those kinds of things are so hard. And then throwing a pandemic season as well, that's tough too. So good to see him get a couple NHL games, look good as an Ottawa Senator. And how about a nice 200000 thousand dollar raise that's not too shabby at all yeah worthwhile and you could see the relief on his face after he spoke to the media following his win one of his former teams the winnipeg jets that's tomorrow's opponent and after the sends extended their losing streak to seven games they were able to get back in the win column but pilsey you think that's more a product of how the flames played versus winnipeg getting back on track For sure. Yeah. And if anyone, I don't often watch uh, non-Ottawa Senators games. So I wanted to catch the highlights and see how the Jets were doing since they played the Sens. And yeah, this was more an indictment on how bad the Calgary Flames were. Like all four of those goals were laughable, like laugh out loud, like face palm, like what is going on in Calgary? Daryl Sutter, I thought he was he was redder than ever in the face. If that mask wasn't there, you'd probably see some not safe, not uh, safe for work words being used by him to describe his team's play. And Markstrom, he really did not fulfill his contract this season for the flames. And I'm not going to put it all on him because that whole team has kind of been a a disaster this season, but yeah, the Winnipeg jets beat up on the Calgary flames for nothing in their previous game. So they're feeling much, much more confident about themselves than last time they came to the Ottawa senators riding a six game losing streak. So that four, nothing shutout win in Calgary finished up a three game road trip, but now back home for their final four games of the season. What does Ottawa have to do? to start that end home stand with a loss. Well, we know the Winnipeg Jets are very deep down the middle, and we know the Ottawa Senators have struggled in the face-off dot recently, but they are coming off a positive as they were the face-off winners up against the Montreal Canadiens in their last game, getting a better face-off percentage for the first time in what seems like ages. And this is a big test up against the Jets. And I feel like this is a common theme for us previewing Winnipeg Jets games is the struggles in the face-off dot up against the good centermen there. But the Senators are starting to play a lot better. And Josh Norris had a good night in the dot. Shane Pinto is getting much more acclimated to how to win face-offs in an NHL setting. Brady is also being really strong in the face-off dot. So if those three guys can really pull together and they take majority of the kind of 
high risk, high reward situations of the faceoff. So if those guys can stay strong, the Senators are going to have a much better chance at winning this game. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Also, I'm looking at Winnipeg stats over their last eight games, right? The seven game losing streak plus their 4-1 win, 4 nothing win rather in Calgary. And they only have four players who have more than a goal over those eight games. And I think that's a pretty telling statistic. One of those guys is Adam Lowry. who's only played in half of those games. He's got two in four of them. So I don't think the Jets have as much depth as maybe we thought going into the season or just the, the key losses are, are too much for them to mount. Like Nikolai Ehlers was really carrying that team offensively. So I think this is a really good opportunity for Ottawa. They've shown what they could do back on home ice, but in Winnipeg, they had struggles there earlier on in the season. I think this is going to be a great test for them. And I'm looking out for Blake Wheeler, because as you mentioned, when there's turbulence, you look to your leaders and Blake Wheeler does lead the team in goals and points throughout this stretch. But at the same time, he's a dash seven. So his defensive game has been getting a lot of uh, raised eyebrows this season because it's not where it had been earlier on in his career when he was a dominant two-way player. And he needs to get back to those ways if Winnipeg's going to have any success. This is really a follow-the-leader type moment for the Jets. And with four games at home, I think the opportunity's there for them to go into the playoffs rolling a bit. And I think that he's a pretty crucial part of that. So I'm going to be looking out for Blake Wheeler. How about you? Yeah, that's a good one. The captain, he had two of the four goals in uh, the game against the Flames. Adam Lowry had the other two. So only those guys got on the board, but they were nice goals for them. I'm going to go with a guy who we saw a lot of the last time the Sens played, and that was Josh Morrissey. Nine shots on goal. He scored the only goal for the Jets. That was a career high for him. A lot of people say the Jets' biggest uh, problem is their decor. It's young guys like Morrissey, Pionk. Those are the two stabilizing guys. Then you got DeMello in there too. Logan Stanley's a young guy. So a lot of people aren't really confident about the back end. But if there's one guy I am worried about as a Sens fan because of his skill, it's Josh Morrissey. That guy is looking like a bona fide number one defenseman. So he's going to be my lookout player for this game. Yeah, no doubt about that, especially when Ottawa saw him just this past week put up nine shots on goal and score the lone goal for the Jets in Ottawa. So in terms of the Sens, that game, Zaitsev had the game winner. He's an easy pick for the the locked-on player, but I'm going to go with Connor Brown. He had the shorthanded goal against the Jets, the the opening goal in that game. Him and Nick Paul were tremendous against Winnipeg. Maybe their best duo game this season they they went six for six on the penalty kill remember that too so I'm, I'm locked on to not only Connor Brown can he hit 20 goals tonight that's a great storyline that could happen and also this sends penalty kill it's second in the National Hockey League over the last four weeks let's see what they can get against a team that needs goals needs wins and I think this is going to be a, like you, you look and desperate might be a tough word because they've already locked up a playoff spot but Right now, the Jets are, are jockeying for position here. Nobody wants to play against McDavid in the first round, but at the same time, you want Matthews kind of pick your poison. But I think that getting as high a seed as you can, it still matters. So I think that uh, Ottawa's got their work cut out for them tonight, but if they can show up like they have been and kind of putting putting the, the brakes on, on, the, on the Habs last game, I think that they're in for one tonight. So let's uh, let's see something nice out of Connor Brown and hope that PK can go up. And not only that, but his five-on-five line with, with Pinto and with Stutzla, I think that they were unreal against Montreal. So let's keep the ball rolling there. Who are you locked on to? Connor Brown is a good one, man. That guy is hot, and we want him to hit 20 goals. That would be so good. And how good would it be if he hit 21, if he beats his career high in a shortened season? That would just be absolutely wild. So speaking on, you talked about him on the penalty kill, a big guy for the Ottawa Center's penalty kill. And I mean, big in time on ice, not in stature. Victor Mete is a guy I'm going to be watching because last time I wanted to watch Eric Branstrom because I really felt like he was the kind of, unofficial number one guy for this decor but Mete was the guy who played the most of any defenseman in the game including his former teammates in Montreal so I'm going to be locked on to him not only on the penalty kill but the breakout those first passes and also his defensive schemes like he's really good playing defense like much better than I gave him credit for initially so that's a guy I'm going to keep watching because don't forget he is also a restricted free agent, and that's going to be a very interesting contract in my eyes. Yes, it certainly will be, but 
doesn't have much leverage at the same time. So I think they will be able to lock him up for a value contract, which Pierre Dorian is probably licking his lips at. We're excited for this weekend's game and going into the final week of the season. You can follow us on Twitter at send central on Instagram at locked on dot senators. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We know there's a little technical issue on Apple side with the new iOS system, but we're still up and running on all other streaming platforms from Odyssey to Google Play to Spotify. We're your team every day. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at BrandonPillar1. I'm at Ross Levitan. You can also follow our next guest at Ian underscore Mendez. He really needs no introduction, but he had a great fan survey that the results came out today on Friday as we're recording. So we're going to get into that with him. And here's how a little sneak preview. Ian has no idea, but when we start the interview, we're just going to fire him questions from his survey and we're going to see how long it takes him to realize what we're doing but then we're going to get into that with him he texted me this morning saying he's got some trivia for us we nailed the one last time about goalies with multiple wins against the columbus blue jackets easy stuff for a goalie friendly show but ian is going to join us in moments but before he does let's tell you about our friends at wealthfront because wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diverse low-cost index funds that are personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every damn day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences that you control. Wealthfront can even lower your taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax-loss harvesting can more than cover the low annual 0.25 advisory free fee. Best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNHL. All you need is $500 to get started, grow your wealth the easy way, and let Wealthfront do the work for you. To get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNHL. That's W-E-A-L-T-H. F-R-O-N-T dot com slash locked on NHL to start growing your savings. Go to wealthfront.com slash locked on NHL and get started today. All right, here he is, the Athletics, Ian Mendez. All right, we now welcome a very special guest, a friend of the show, back to the program. It's Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Ian, how you doing today, man? Guys, I'm doing fantastic, as I just told you. I'm doing this interview just to paint a picture for your listeners. I'm in my car, in my driveway, because the rest of my house, uh, we got two kids homeschooling in high school. We've got my wife is working and doing a, a presentation right now for, uh, for work. So I thought, you know what? They don't want to hear me talking loud in my podcast radio voice booming through the house. So I'm out in my car doing this interview with you guys. Nice. Meanwhile, I'm on the 12th floor in a one-bedroom condo in Toronto, right next to the fire station. So if your siren's there, don't blame Ian right away. That can be on me. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pillsy's getting the roof reshingled. We're a real, um, you know, active podcast today. But Ian, you've been active with your listener, listeners, readers. Uh, I know you host the NHL Athletic Podcast as well. But I want to dive in to the survey you did. But I want to start with a couple questions for you. What best describes your feelings towards the Sens right now, Ian? Oh, Ross is turning the tables on me, asking me the questions. I like it. Um, you know what? I, and, and I think I would say, I, and I think the last four weeks have really, and I, I feel like I'm like a lot of Ottawa fans, it's really improved my optimism level around this group. And I think coming into the season, I felt like, Okay, they've got Kachuk and they've got Shabbat. they got a whole bunch of question marks. And now I'm watching, and Josh Norris is legit. And Drake Batherson is legit. And I think Shane Pinto looks pretty good. And so I feel this greater sense of optimism that wasn't there. So I definitely, uh, you know, as it pertains to the on-ice stuff here, like put me down in the camp of being super optimistic for, you know, what this team can do 18 to 24 months from now. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of Sens fans are in the same boat. And as shown by your survey, it seems like that as well. So now I want to get into the Sens didn't make the playoffs this season, unfortunately, mathematically eliminated. The hot streak has been too little too late. But Ian, what was the biggest reason why the Senators weren't a playoff team this year? Yeah, you know what? It, it's funny because I think as I, as I put that question out, uh, I got a lot of blowback in the comment section. People were like, 
ah, this is the most negative question. What are you doing? And, you know, and it's really important when you sit in the chairs that we do in the media, take the criticism, take the feedback, take and, and learn from it. And what, you know what I learned? I learned I needed to phrase that question better. So the, the way I phrased the question in the, in the survey was, who deserves the most blame for Ottawa missing the playoffs this year? And the three options were uh, the goaltenders, Pierre Dorian, and DJ Smith. In hindsight, what I should have done is, is said, what's the biggest reason why Ottawa missed the playoffs? And maybe goaltending could have been an option and maybe poor roster construction. You know, So look, I, I get it. So for the, the, the readers of The Athletic who were quite critical of that, uh, question, please know that I take your feedback to heart and I'm not uh, dismissive. I, I, I understand. This is my first time running a survey. So I, I get it. I'm not going to be perfect. But the number one thing that came back was goaltending. And, you know, I can't necessarily disagree with people because I think if you look at the last six weeks, seven weeks, they've been getting above average goaltending, right? Like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would wager to say that the save percentage is north of 920 since like the middle of uh, to the end of March. And it's no coincidence that their record is better. So I think you can make a solid argument that that 1-8-1 and one start was largely rooted in some, some poor goaltending. And if they got some better goaltending, if they played Edmonton, think of those games Marcus Hogberg struggled against Edmonton. If you got better goaltending in some of those games, maybe they're five or six points better. And maybe we're having a conversation of them trying to make the playoffs uh, here in the, in, 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 the middle of, uh, in the middle of May. Ian, I've got uh, the stats right in front of me now. Since the trade deadline, your Ottawa Senators have the number one even strength five-on-five save percentage in the entire National Hockey League. Like, think about that. That's bananas. Like, this is a team that was getting, like, 1980s-style goaltending in terms of save percentage in, in January and February. And to have it turn around like that, it's fascinating. And I think what's also fascinating is it's been a collection of goalies, right? It's not just, like, Oh, it's uh, Matt Murray turned his game around. You know, Matt was pretty good when he came back, but he's hurt. Anton Forsberg was pretty good, and he's been in and out. And even Marcus Ho- uh, Hogberg's been better. And obviously, Phil Gustafson has been really good. Like, that's the thing. Like, it, it's there's a number of goalies that have been good here in the last uh, five or six weeks. That actually surprised me when I looked it up. They're ahead of Carolina's second, Boston's third, Nashville's fourth, and UC Saros is really making a case to, to be like a, the – I was going to say MVP. That might be a stretch. We know McDavid has that locked in, in key. But to be ahead of those teams, albeit a smaller sample size, 11 games for Ottawa is truly remarkable. Um, I've got one more kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'm kind of breaking character. We are going to just ask you all your questions and, and put it back at you. Uh, we do have some questions about the survey in itself. But I do want your opinion on this. Which player has been your most pleasant surprise? Because there's definitely a few to pick from. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's the really cool thing is that this is where I think it goes back to the optimism factor. Like, uh, like there was five or six guys in this team this year that I was like, man, they overachieved or they did better than I thought. And I thought the most telling thing from this survey was, con- like, in any other year, would you have thought Connor Brown would be the first? Like, I mean, he probably is going to end up being the first to 20 goals if they get a 20. I think he's at 19. Like, yep. like Connor Brown's leading this team in goal scoring. He's been dynamite. And yet he's like the fourth or fifth most kind of pleasant surprise in this team. And so for me, the answer is Josh Norris. And I say that not, not to, to kind of dismiss Artem Zub's impact or Drake Batherson's impact. Josh Norris is exactly what this franchise needs, which is some hope down the middle. And you watch this kid, and he's pretty good on face-offs, and he's got a great connection with Brady Kachuk and, and, and Batherson. That's what they need right now. So at the start of the year, I think a lot of us thought, yeah, Josh Norris is you know, probably a 2-3 guy. And I think in, in my mind, he's elevated to maybe certainly being a 2, and maybe we can have a conversation about him uh, down the road elevating into a 1. But he is certainly established himself to me as a top six forward and I didn't think I didn't know that about him coming into this year so he would be my my most pleasant surprise yeah I'm with you on that one Ian Norris uh we Ross and I had him pegged as the number one center centerman in Belleville for most of this season well, we Probably. got half of that right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we thought maybe you get to see him at the trade deadline once some other uh veterans get shipped out and stuff like that but he just burst right onto the scene. And yeah, like you said, I think his biggest uh, attribute is how well he plays with Brady Kachuk. Like that's going to be a tandem that's going to cause a lot of problems for teams uh, down the road here. Now, that was the player that surprised you the most. But 
after you said this is kind of your first survey and you've got a pretty good pulse on the fan base of the Ottawa centers working and covering this team for a long time, which of the survey questions really shocked you that like, maybe you, you kind of had a thought that, Oh, this is going to be the answer for sure. And then it was complete 180 on you. Yeah. You know what? And, and there was a couple, and I think, you know, first of all, just to back this up for a second, I think it's like just the idea of doing a survey. I think it's a good thing for us in the media And this is just my approach. And I I don't want to speak on behalf of my colleagues because I think everybody does their jobs differently. And I'm not saying that my approach is better or somebody else's is different or worse or whatever. It's important to have different perspectives. But to me, my coverage needs to be like the, the fans' opinion and what they think of things and how they think of things needs to be the driving force in my coverage. It really does. Like if I don't know what you're thinking, what the hell am I supposed to write? Like, who, and who am I writing for? I'm writing for you. I'm not writing for Pierre Dorian. I'm not writing for Eugene Malnick. And I'm certainly not writing uh, for the players in the room. I'm writing for you, the fans listening to this podcast. So I need to know what you're thinking. So that, to me, was, was kind of the catalyst or the impetus for, for putting this together. And I think when I, when I looked at this, a couple of things. Like, I think Pierre Dorian came out pretty well, uh, to be honest with you. I thought, you know what? He's a, certainly a polarizing guy. But I think that, the, like... The fans are split on him. It's not this, uh, this group of fans that are, that are saying, you know what, Pierre Dorian's not the right general manager. I think there's a lot of people who look at this and say, there's probably some mitigating circumstances to being the general manager of the Ottawa Senators. Some limited resources, some different things that you deal with that other teams don't. And I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a sympathy factor from the Ottawa fans who are like, you know, Pierre Dorian has done a pretty good job. And I think where, I'll, I, where I will give him credit is – this thing is in a good spot. I think we can all agree that they're, they're in a pretty good spot. Like they, they went scorched earth. It was painful. And now you're seeing some of the fruits of it. So I think that one surprised me, but also the idea that about 90% of the fan base is optimistic about the team. Like that's really cool. Like we've all been through the last four years and words like apathy, negativity, frustration, anger have been the, the adjectives of the day. And to see this come out the other side with, uh, you know, almost 90% of the people who responded to our survey saying, I feel optimistic. I'm so happy for you as Ottawa fans. If that's how you're feeling, you deserve, like, other markets, they don't get us. They don't. They think that we're this little market that doesn't, you know, we're Arizona and Carolina or whatever when the fans don't show up. This is a damn smart market. And the reason why they stay away is because they're smart. And so to, to see that being optimistic, I, that was really cool to me. And, and, and I hope it's a sign that, uh, that, that people are ready to kind of fall back in love uh, w- with the players on this team. My most curious aspect of all this is what's the attendance going to be like at the CTC when fans get back? I think you'll get that initial bump, no doubt. The, the diehards who have been waiting this much and, and hopefully, and I know in my terms, saving for a trip to Ottawa to be able to get into it, to see these young players play. But I want to see like, you know, what, what you'd call the dog days of the middle of winter in, in January next year and February, assuming the season starts on time. That's where we're really going to get a gauge of how invested fans are back or whether they're going to stay away for reasons outside of the product of the ice. I want to jump back to what you were saying about Pierre Dorian. And you said that was the most surprising. The majority gave him a B. So maybe that, that glass ceiling, there's still a little bit that could be done to pump it up to an A. I think the off season uh, signings that ended up being one and two in your most disappointing players results in this survey could have been a reason for that as well. But it was also interesting to see that, there's a pretty even split thinking about whether or not he's the right general manager for the next phase of this rebuild. How soon do you think that next phase is ready to go into, into full, full-fledged gear? Well, I think we're almost there, aren't we, guys? Like, yeah, I think I, I'd say the, so, the, but you're not going to fire Dorian this offseason. No, and, 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 but this is just it, though. Like, he's going into the last year of his contract. DJ Smith's going into the last year of their contract. And I hate using the term lame duck, but... Like oftentimes in, in pro sports, you don't have a general manager and a coach going into their final year at the same time. You, like it's pretty rare. I, I could be wrong, but I, you don't often see that. You often see a sign of, uh, you know, uh, ownership or whatever rewarding uh, general managers and coaches so they don't have to go into that last year wondering what if. And they don't make the moves. And, the, uh, you know, I think what happens when you go into the last year of your deal, whether you're a coach or GM, and it's human nature, you're in survival mode. So all of your decisions are, 
sometimes it's kind of selfish. Like, I, well, I got to win or I got to, you know. So that's going to be interesting. And I do think that we're ready to kind of move to the next phase. Now, I'm not as bullish on them being a playoff team if they go back to the Atlantic Division. I'm, I'm not saying that they won't make it. I'm just saying I love their odds if we're back in an all-Canadian division somehow next year. But I think there's a chance for them to make the playoffs next year. But I think certainly there's a different feel. There's not the expectation that they're going to be uh, somewhere between 25th and, and, uh, and 30th next year or 32nd next year. I think the expectation is they are somewhere between 15 and 25. And I think that's a realistic expectation. And I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the coach and the general manager get extended um, at some point in the next few months. Yeah, that's what a lot of people's eyes are going to be on. And I agree with you. I think this was kind of the last season where uh, Sens fans gave the team a free pass with expectations, right? Like there wasn't expectations to make the playoffs. We weren't expecting them to tank hard. It was kind of a middle transition year, but next year, I don't think that's an option. They, they need to be at least contending for a playoff spot. Like they got to be in the race at the end of the season. And someone who's going to be a big part of that is going to be the bench boss, DJ Smith. And a lot of people had different opinions of him on your survey. What's your opinion? Do you think, I think DJ Smith has done a great job with these young prospects in the rebuild. But like I said, the rebuild has to end now. We have to move on to the next year. Do you think he's the right guy to propel the Senators into playoff contention? Well, I think the answer to that is that he at least deserves a chance to be that guy. You know, if, does that make sense? Like, I think yep. if, if they had come out this year and if February, January and February had continued all season long, I think we could have had this conversation and said, you know what, he's not the guy. But it's clear to me that when the team was not playing for anything, so to speak, that they have been motivated to play for this guy down the stretch. So I think that the, the core of guys seems to like him at least again you can only glean what you glean based on what you see and what you see is a group of young guys that seem to be all pulling together on the same rope so I would say he absolutely deserves that chance and I think that the pressure around like DJ Smith has had a pretty this has been a pretty rare thing in the Canadian market to get not one but two relatively pressure-free seasons like you don't often get this two free spots in the bingo card when you coach in the Canadian market but that free spot is gone next year and I think DJ knows that and I think there has to be a sense of improvement and like you said fighting for a playoff spot potentially being a team that could I, I think my expectation for this team next year is just don't be a straight-up seller at the deadline don't get to the trade deadline and be like well who are they gonna move and just be in the hunt hanging around but I, I do think that DJ Smith at least deserves to have that chance to try and make this team into a playoff contender hopefully he's learned too I think he has shown the ability to adjust and and maybe forcing the kids to earn it a little bit more when even fans could see the players that were ahead of them eh, probably shouldn't have been but at the same time you create that culture where nothing's for free and you have to work for what you get and one of the the guys who benefited from that although some would argue maybe how much I'm curious your thoughts on yeah, everyone talks about yeah what to do with Logan Brown this offseason, Ryan Dezingle, two questions in the poll. But what do you do with Colin White? That's such an interesting case to me with five years left on his contract. And he was a healthy scratch at the start of the year, worked his way in. There's been some ups and downs. But to me, there's been more pizzas than nice plays. And by that, I mean just giveaways in his own zone that have led to goals against. I think that out of all the young core, and we're, we're seeing so many guys um, you know, grow and, and get better and better, I think that might be a guy who's kind of rolling in the mud right now. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it, it's a it's a legitimate question to ask because I think when they signed Colin White to his contract in whenever that was summer of 2019, I want to say, yeah, they were like, "Look at us, we've got the first piece of our core," and then they got Shabbat done a few weeks later or whatever that was. And but the feeling was, we've got a core piece. And now, as you sit here and look at the situation, I don't know. I really don't know that. He's, he's what you thought he was when you signed him to the contract extension. So they have to have a conversation. And, and I don't, I, you know, the guy who's the absolute wizard on this stuff, we call him our resident, uh, when I worked at TSN 1200, our resident uh, capologist was Steve Lloyd. And Lloydy would know the exact parameters of the, the one-third buyout for Colin White. I think at least, you, I know that you have one more year to do it and possibly into next year based on his age. But there is the opportunity, if you think that he's not the guy, there is the one-third buyout option where you only have to pay one-third of his salary, not two-thirds. I, boy, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know that we're at that point yet. 
but it's certainly interesting with the Seattle expansion draft coming up. Uh, do you expose Colin White? Like again, it's 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 a it's a fair question to have. It's a it's an interesting question. Like, who do you protect uh, based on their upside, based on the salary, based on all these things? And right now, I can tell you, I think we can all agree, Josh Norris is definitively ahead of Colin White. It feels like perception-wise, Shane Pinto is ahead of Colin White. So where does that leave Colin White? Is he your third center? And is your third center? Can you be making nearly five million? I, again, I don't know. So. This could be interesting to see, and I think it's a, it's a fair question that certainly needs to be kind of bandied about by the hockey operations staff in the, uh, in the months ahead. I was going to follow up with that and, and take you a step further. Not only expose him, but would you have conversation with Seattle about maybe sweetening the pot so that he's the guy to take, maybe leave the goalies alone? It's, it's, again, this is going to be some of the negotiations that go on with, uh, with Ron Francis in Seattle, right? Like, I look at the expansion, like, and this is just me looking at the expansion list for Ottawa. And in all the scenarios, it's not like it was in uh, 2017 when they lost. Mark, you were like, man, once Dion Phaneuf didn't wave, um, you knew you were going to lose a good player. I don't think they're going to lose a good skater this time around. Like, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like there's, there, there's a protection issue there. But there's a protection issue with the goalies. In my opinion, and this is just me, I would protect Philip Gustafson. That's just me. Like, I, I look at this and I say, give me the guy with the most amount of upside. And to me, that's Gustafson. But I, I, I agree with you. This, this is, these are the conversations you need to be having. How do you persuade Seattle to maybe stay away from the court in Gustafson? And it would be, <laughs> excuse me, try to get them to take a Colin White, or dare I say Logan Brown, or some, something else that you would be more comfortable losing than, than maybe a young netminder. Yeah, for me, I, I'm uh, emphatically on the side of do not trade anything to try to persuade Seattle how they're going to pick your players. You, you have to lose a guy one way or another. Just let them have their pick and live with it. Don't give them extra, plus also <laughs> taking a guy from your roster. I think that is the worst thing the Ottawa Senators could do with this expansion draft. You know, it's a good point. You know, it's a good point there. And I, I brought this up the other day, and, and I, you know, I, I'll bring it up again here too. Like, Seattle paid $600 million to come into the league, right? And Decent then every price team, tag. Yeah, and every team gets like a $20 million check, right? Like ballpark, okay? So ask yourself, here's the trade. You're going to get $20 million in cash. You give us like a third-line player. They're going to have you know, Jonathan Aspero. Sounds yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. No, but seriously, like, think about that for a second. Like, you're getting $20 million in cash. You just have to give up one uh, asset. You would do that every day of the week, uh, you know? Like, every day of the Especially week. And, and, and you're right. You're right. You would absolutely be maybe better served by just saying, okay, you know what? We're going to lose somebody. Let's lose somebody. And when you look at how many teams tripped over themselves trying to go galaxy brain with the Vegas expansion draft and, you know, Florida, March so, and Riley Smith and Anaheim just giving up Shea Theodore. It's just, you don't want to get into the, one of those situations where you're the butt of the joke for the next 10 years. So I'm with Pillsy. I said it tongue in cheek with Colin White, but the way Ottawa strategically drafted a goalie and high in terms of when most goalies go like uh, Marilyn in third round Sogard second round in the last couple of years I think that you have enough in the pipeline that if you lose a guy then so be it I'd take I'd protect Joey Decord I just think he has that it factor and uh, and also he's been a guest on this show so we go to battle for them even when we shouldn't so um, for that reason it's completely selfish I'm, I'm keeping Joey but I also love what I saw from him in, in the NHL and what Pilsy and I got to see in Belleville as well last year. And since we're on the topic of goalies, Ian, you put us on the spot with a trivia question that was goalie related. So we're going to start off. We each have one for you. And Ooh, okay. mine is goalie related. I think it might be easy for you, but we're going to ease you in because, you know, we don't want to put you on the spot too much. There are four goalies in Sens history to have more than 10, well, 10 or more shutouts. Can you name all four of them? Okay, so more than 10 shutouts. Well, Craig Anderson. Second. Uh, one. Uh, or, oh, Patty Laleem. Sorry, Patty Laleem. Only two one. ahead, by the way. So I wonder if Andy has trouble sleeping at night knowing he's so close. Yeah. So Laleem, Anderson. Boy, 10 shutouts. Yeah. Even Pilsy uh, got those two. So I wouldn't feel too good about yourself yet. <laughs> yeah. Ron Tugnut. Yep. 
Now this, this, this is where this, I was stumped. This is okay. I, I made the first three, and then the last one was a little okay. bit difficult. Yeah, so you've got go, one, two, and three right now. I'm going to go. This is going to be a little bit of a gamble. Brian Elliott. No, he has nine. He's oh. fifth. He has nine. Oh. Boy, do I have egg on my face. What a, what a terrible guess. Oh, boy. Okay, Brian uh, I don't See, I don't think Damian Rhodes is another name, but I don't know. Uh, boy, Rhodes. That's a, as in, like, Gerber wouldn't have had it. Uh, you know, I think of these guys that, like, I guess it's Damian Rhodes. Is it it's Damian Rhodes? Rhodes. I didn't oh. want to say it until you gave your official answer. <laughs> Damian Rhodes has 11 shutouts. Brian Elliott with nine. Ray Emery with eight. Nobody else has more than five. But I'd be remiss not to mention that Yanni Erme in 44 starts had five shutouts. In 42 starts, Dominic Hasek had five shutouts as well, which is just incredible. Uh, Shutout per game played. I know a lot of fans have fun with cost per point. We'll go shutout per game played, and uh, and they're right up there. So no doubt, Ian Mendez gets the first one right. Uh, I know you have one for us. Do you want to tell ask us, and then Pillsy will finish off with his. You betcha. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Okay, uh, and I, I always love it when the, the you know the listeners play along. Let's see if you, if they can uh, if they can beat you to this. Okay, there are four players, guys, in the history of the Ottawa Senators that have scored 100 career goals for the Sens, okay? So 100 career goals with Ottawa, but they also had fewer than 200 penalty minutes while playing with the Senators. Who are they? So 100 or more goals and less and, than 200 penalty minutes. So, correct. So My Chris first Neal's instinct is Heatley. Oh, I, I, but he probably has too many penalty minutes. Yeah. That's a that's – a, well – Jace, uh, that's a lot of games to have less than 200 penalty minutes. But I'll have to go with Jason Spezza. I think he probably got over 200 that game against Philly, didn't he? Oh, yeah, jeez. Uh, Jason Spezza is no good. Completely I, forgot the, about guys, that. Guys, the, the, the brawl against Philly. I know, I know. Him fighting Patrick Sharp was actually one of the highlights of that fight or of that game, too. You oh, say fight, time. you say which one. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, that's a, that's a good one, actually. What do we have here? Uh, 100 goals. So... How many senators have hit 100 goals? That's another I think it's question. like 17 or something like that. Okay. All right, my, my next guess is related to Heatley, Milan McCulloch. Oh, good guess, no good. Oh, that is a good guess because he had that 34-goal uh, season. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I got one for sure. Mike Hoffman has to be on there. There you go, Mike Hoffman. Okay, okay. Mike Hoffman has to be there. Uh, okay, 100 goals. Maybe the bar's not set as high as I thought because you said there's 17 guys, right? I, it's something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. I want to say it's like 17 guys. By the way, guys, Milan McCulloch, 202 penalty minutes. <laughs> uh, I knew I was close. I felt good about that one. Um, okay, I'm going to stick with that error then. How about did Bobby hit 100 goals? Yeah, yeah Bobby Ryan, correct. Okay, great. Bobby Ryan's on that list. I want to say Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris, another good guess. 207 penalty oh minutes. Oh, my Just God. missed out. These guys, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a fight and, a, and an instigator right there, and, and we yeah. would have been in the money. Um, Mark Stone? That was my Mark guess. Stone, yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Here's, okay. Here's so we got one left. Fact for you. Here's the fun fact for you on Mark Stone. Mark Stone is the only player in Senators history with more than 100 goals who has more goals than penalty minutes. <laughs> wow. Wow. 123 goals for Mark Stone, 115 penalty minutes. All right, I think I got the last one here. Martin Havlat. Yes, ding, ding, ding. There Mark you nine. go. We, we struggled our way through that one, but it wasn't quite – you know, we're a goalie-friendly show, so when you ask us how many wins against the Columbus Blue Jackets, that's easy. My, so for the final one, Pillsy wants me to go for it. I'm, I'm the send encyclopedia apparently. Um, although I think Ian could give me a good run. We do have one, actually, a career question for you after to, to wrap up after uh, this last trivia. So yeah. I was going to ask you which team the Sens have beat most in their career, but that's too easy, right? It has to be Toronto, Montreal, the teams they play the most. But what team does Ottawa have the best points percentage against in their franchise history? Whoa. Most points percentage. But now hang on here. Is this like one of those... Uh, like it could be an expand, like, no, no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now. So third on the list is the jets. So the thrashers, that sort of expansion time, they actually have the worst points percentage is against the Vegas golden Knights. They've only beat them once in six games. So my 
gut tells me I'm just going to throw this out there, New York Islanders. This is why Ian is the sport, is encyclopedia right here. The New York Islanders, and it's by a fair margin too. They have the same amount of points as they do against the Tampa Bay Lightning, which are second on this list, but they played them six less times. How'd you know well, that? There you go. That I- was impressive. <laughs> well, there you go. And you're saying like, oh, the listeners will play along, but Ian just nails it in two seconds and it's game over from there. Nice one, Trivia Master Ross. Thanks for playing. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, Pilsy wants to go back to your days as uh, as working for the Sense PR. I think it's a pretty good question here. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, we, like your storied career working with the Ottawa Centers, you've been working with them for so long through multiple platforms and different companies even, so you've seen it all. So the question I want to ask, and this this is a question from uh, some of our peers at the College of Sports Media, they came up with this question, shout out uh, BMAC and Kenny Stapon, just want to give some credit, but we want to use this question for you. And a lot of young NHL players, you know, there's always that one moment where they realize, wow, I'm in the NHL, like I'm in the big leagues, I've made it. But people forget, the, a broadcaster has a similar path, right? You don't just get to start in the NHL right away. You have a long way to go, and then when you get there, it's probably a big shock. So, Ian, what was that moment for you where you're like, wow, I'm, I'm covering the NHL now. This is, this is the show. What was that moment for you? Ooh, good question. So this is as a reporter, you're saying, right? Yeah. Like, yes. Um, boy, good question. Boy, that's a really the, good question. The PR question I'm going to ask after. Okay. Boy, you know what? Like, I don't know if there's like one aha moment, so to speak, like that I can think of off the top of my head, but it, like, it probably really hit me. I, you know, I remember, and I can't remember the year I want to say it must've been in and around the lockout of 05, that, that lockout. I went to Pittsburgh. Uh, the, the Penguins had just drafted Sidney Crosby. Remember they won the lottery and, uh, you mean the I, Brian I got, Lee draft? The Brian Lee, yeah, we'll, we'll just refer to it as the Brian Lee draft. Um, <laughs> and, and so I was in Pittsburgh. They sent me, uh, Sportsnet sent me to Pittsburgh, and I was only, you know, two years out of the job, and I was just kind of still kind of learning and, and getting my feet wet. They sent me to Pittsburgh. They're like, listen, uh, Crosby's been drafted. I want you to do a story. And I ended up getting a chance to do a one-on-one interview with Mario Lemieux. Okay? And it was a really cool thing for me. But I'll never forget, I came back to Ottawa, and I did a – uh, a media interview with John Muckler, who was uh, the, the general manager still in, um, in Ottawa at the time. And I remember Muck telling me, he's like, you know, I saw your, I saw your, uh, your one-on-one with Mario Lemieux. He was like, he was like, it looked like you were looking at God. He said, you look like you were just in awe. And I get, you know, and it probably was, it was like one of the coolest things I got to, to sit down and, and do this conversation with Mario Lemieux. And that was like the coolest thing for me was like, wow, like I got a chance to sit down with a guy that I grew up just admiring and thinking was like, you know, in high school and stuff. I was like, Mario Lemieux is the best player on the planet uh, when I was a kid. And uh, to be able to interview him and, uh, you know, to have that opportunity, that was probably like one of the coolest things early in my career that made me realize like what a, what a special privilege it was to, to be an NHL reporter. I love that. And that was after your days working in the Sens PR department itself. And that's to anyone who's maybe on the outside and correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but that's kind of in the communications of setting up all the availabilities and that sort of thing. I'm sure I'm minimizing what the extent of the job was, but in terms of the players that were on the team at that time, who was the most high maintenance that you had to always keep your eye on, whether it was keeping them out of trouble <laughs> off the ice or if they didn't like speaking to the media and, and you maybe had to force their hand a little bit? Who stood out in that sense? Boy, you know what? Like, it was actually a pretty good group of guys. And I only was there for two seasons. And it was a good group. Like, honestly, I think because you had Daniel Alfredson sort of leading the charge and, and Alf was the captain and Alf, like, would you have that guy as your heartbeat? everyone else kind of falls in line. Like really there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any problems. Like, like I used to joke, and I still would joke with him now, like Radic Bonk never loved doing interviews, but he's such a good guy, but he just didn't, it was like pulling teeth with him. You, you know, you, um, you know, Hey, here's a quick question. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast or what happened? God damn right. Yeah. yeah okay. Go for it. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this story, but I, what I don't remember, I think Bonky, I might've been with Sportsnet at the time. 
because uh, I don't think I don't think I was in PR. But anyway, Bonky, I love him. I think he's a great guy, great sense of humor, and a kind of an underrated player. And uh, I think Brent Wallace and I wanted to talk to Bonky about Marion Hosa. Okay, so this was one. This must have been like oh one, oh two, or oh two, oh three, somewhere in that window when Haas was really taken off. And I remember going to Raddick and saying, "Hey, Bonky." Um, want to do a story, want to get your opinion on, on Marion Hosa. And he looks at, at, at me and goes, what am I, his fucking twin? And, <laughs> and, and I mean, he did the interview, but he was like, he was so sour about it. But, but again, I love, I love Bonky. Like, I think there's certain guys that just didn't like or love doing the media stuff. And, and he was one of those guys that was like, I don't really love doing the media stuff, but he's a good guy. And, and, and that's the, one of the things that you're able to separate too is that, just because a guy doesn't like doing interviews doesn't mean he's not a good guy. And I, I think Radic Bonk falls into that, uh, that category. I, I have a lot of time for, uh, for Bonky. I love those Eastern Europeans. I feel like Ottawa always used to have two of either Czechs or Slovaks on the team. You mentioned Bonk, Hosa, Mazaros, Chara. Uh, even I was going to say Peter Bond, but he didn't last long. But I, I miss that, that dry sense of humor they all have. Doesn't Bonk live in Ottawa full-time now too? Yeah, in fact, I, I know he's coaching. He's pretty big into coaching uh, youth hockey here. Too. I heard I know he dominates son. men's league too. Oh, I can I can see it. Like uh, he, yeah, he's he's an Ottawa guy, and I think it shows you that you know. And 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 Radic went off and played uh, in in Montreal. Did he play in L? He played in LA too, didn't he? Briefly. Yeah, I think he. I think he went or no, I think it was a three way trade where it was Ottawa, Montreal, and LA. But he ended up in Montreal. He did end up, but anyway, and I think, but he played somewhere else, didn't he? Just, was Nashville. Just Ottawa? Nashville, that's it, exactly. So I always say it's a pretty cool thing when players have bounced around the different markets and played in different places, they come back here and they're like, you know what? I like Ottawa. And I think that shows you like Radic Bonk loved this community, loves playing here, loved being a part of it. And it's really cool. Like, like I said, he's coaching. Uh, coaching youth hockey, he's a pretty big, pretty big part of that scene, and it just it shows you how much uh, uh, guys love uh, guys love living here. I've, we'll end off on this because I know that you're a nostalgia guy too. Here is Braddock Bonk's trade: the Ottawa Senators acquire a third round pick they used on Sean Weller, who the LA Kings acquired Radic Bonk, and then flipped them, flipped him with Mathieu Garon, and the Montreal Canadiens acquire not only Radic Bonk but Cristobal Huet who was lit up at least once or twice by the Ottawa Senators. All full circle. When, when, when uh, Jason Spezza scored that unbelievable goal, that was not on Cristobal Huey, though, right? That was no, that was Theodore. Theodore? That was Theodore. Yeah, that's right. He, he's still doing that fake slap shot, slide it through the five hole. We actually, before we let you go, you caught a lot of heat for your <laughs> Maple Leafs take. We can't let you go without letting you have a chance to defend yourself. Like, yeah, Think about it. It'd be cool, Jason Spezza, Nick Foligno, but the fans, you know how long and like they've already lasted 60 some years already still holding on to the past. Are you ready for that to repeat? Oh man. I listen, I, I know that I took a ton of heat and, and I thought we were going to get out of this. As soon as I mentioned, uh, <laughs> we, we talked about Spezza there. I was like, Oh no, they're going to put the two and two together and they're going to ask me about it. But look, I, and I said it before, I'll say it again. Ottawa fans are the best. Honestly, like Ottawa Senators fans are amazing. I would never in any way like uh, take a side swipe at them or disparage them because I think my career is basically built on uh, how much uh, uh, you know enjoyment fans have had out of my coverage of the team over the years. So for me to to you know to take a swipe at them and say like oh, grow up or get a thicker skin, like I get it. Somebody who covers your team went on a public forum and said I'd be cool with the Maple Leafs winning the cup <laughs> because of Jason Spezza and, and and Nick Foligno. So I get it. I don't want people to think that I'm you know not understanding the uh, the, the, the criticism. All I'm trying to do, and I and I hope I. I peeling back a little bit of the curtain there on, you know, telling you what it's like to be in the PR staff and getting to know the players. We get to know them as human beings. And I guess the only thing I'm asking you to, to, to think about is if you had uh, a really good friend or a coworker or somebody you went to school with or something, and, and they had a chance to win a Stanley Cup with a team that, uh, you know, wasn't one of your favorites at the end of their career. I want to make that clear. I'm not thinking I'd love to see Jason Spezza win a cup and the guy's 25 years old and play for Toronto. No, thank you. But this might be it for Jason. This might be it for Nick. So that's why. I just I cheer for human beings. I don't cheer for teams. And I, and I understand that the, the average fan doesn't understand that. And I'm not asking you 
to put yourself in my shoes and, and see it through my lens. I'm just like, trying to explain why uh, seeing Jason Spezza lift the Stanley Cup would mean a lot to me uh, because that guy's been really good to me professionally and personally for uh, the better part of two decades. The same would be true for, uh, for Nick Foligno. So uh, those guys are, are good human beings. They've been good to me. They've been good to our community, and I'd like to see them win the Cup. I, I wish it wasn't with a blue and white team, but I guess that's the, the situation we find ourselves here in, uh, in 2021. Yeah, well, as you know, we do this every single day. So once the Senators wrap up, we, just like last year in the bubble, just for like kind of content. And I know you had a piece on this actually earlier in the year in The Athletic. We do our hashtag sends abroad where we put together a team of, of all former Senators and, and we kind of keep the scoring leaders up in the playoffs. So, hey, the, the deeper and the longer that uh, they can go, it's good, good for us as well. Although um, the more heartbreak. So I'd say, yeah, let them win around. It's been long enough. But the, the closer they get to the prize and the ultimate heartbreak just makes the content that much better for us but we do see your side and, and we will say I think we speak for for sense fans when we say that most of it was tongue-in-cheek at you I mean there nobody's actually mad at you for cheering on people you have relationships with and wanting them to do well I, I think that that's uh that that would be insane if and I'm sure one or two actually were but uh I think that the majority was that uh, was all just razzing you just for fun I, you know what? I wish that that was the case. I should, uh, you know, the inbox says otherwise, oh. <laughs> uh, but, but, but again, it's, it's one of those things where I, I appreciate, don't ever let people tell you that Ottawa is not a passionate uh, sports market. You know, that's, that's where I'll, uh, I'll leave it because they, they certainly voice their opinion uh, on that one too. For every playoff win the Leafs get, you need to tweet out one of the DMs that you received after that <laughs> take. You can do it anonymously, but we need to see the content there. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Ian, we always appreciate you coming on. We appreciate reading you in The Athletic. We said in, in January, was it, when Haley announced she was going to Calgary that, oh, man, the big shoes to fill. Well, there's no better person to take over that. And then getting to hear you too. Uh, Mondays and Thursdays on the NHL Athletic Podcast as well. It's been a great treat for us as fans. You're a true friend of the show, Ian, and we look forward to getting you on. Uh, maybe come draft time could be a good time to kind of assess going into the offseason. Yeah, guys, love the content you pump out. And, uh, you know, maybe more importantly, love the fact that you guys uh, do this with such passion and enthusiasm uh, for the Ottawa Senators. We uh, could certainly use more, you know, more people like you in the industry, more people like you kind of amplifying the Ottawa Senators in this market. So appreciate it, guys. Always my pleasure to, uh, to join you. Stay safe and uh, hope, to, uh, hope to connect with you again down the road. Stick taps to Ian Mendez for joining the show once again. One of our favorite guests, and it's always fun to uh, throw the questions back his way. He wanted to know how Sens fans felt about the organization, and now we got a chance to know how he feels about the organization. So always a treat to have Ian Mendez on the podcast. If you don't already, go subscribe to The Athletic, and you're going to be enjoying Ian's articles multiple times a week. I know I do. But now we have a quick word from one of our sponsors at Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And if you've been a Locked On Senators podcast listener, you already know it. And I hope you've already tried it. And if you're wondering, hmm, I don't really like most protein flavors. Like there's only one or two to choose from. Not Built Bar. 16 amazing flavors to choose from. Eight chocolate with nut flavors. Eight chocolate nut free flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. So if you guys like chocolate, but you don't want to have all that guilt from a high calorie candy bar, then Built Bar is the bar for you. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're going to have you thinking this is a dessert, not a healthy protein bar. I guarantee you because the bars are low in calorie, low in sugar. So those are the two lows you want, but they're high in protein and high in fiber. So nothing of what you don't want and everything of what you do want. Now let's talk about those flavors because I am a Built Bar expert. I've had all these flavors. I love them and I know you're going to love them too. So if you're new to Built Bar, I'm going to start you off with one of the best flavors. And it's one of Ross's personal favorite flavors too. So if you don't believe me, believe both of us at least. And that Hell is, yeah. Ross, you know you love this one, the Mint brownie oh, built bar 100 anything with brownie i'm sold especially when it comes from the our good friends at built bar oh yeah i mean they're already covered in chocolate and now they're throwing brownies in the mix too you're probably thinking how is this a healthy option and it's surprising but only 130 calories one of their lowest calorie bars on the menu 
17 grams of protein, four grams of sugar, and a whole lot of deliciousness. Let me tell you that. So since you're a listener of the Locked On Senators podcast, we're going to give you a nice promo code. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get, guess what, 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And since you're already online, you just finished shopping at Built Bar, why not head over to Bet Online and earn that money back so that you got them for free? And where do you go? You go to betonline.ag, no doubt. The one place that has you covered, the only place that we trust here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's betonline.ag. You can sign up for a free account at betonline.ag. And when you do, because you're a listener to Locked On Senators, you're entitled to a 50% welcome bonus by using the promo code Locked On. So you put in $200, that's $100 right into your account. Just like that. Bingo, bango, bongo. You put in $100, that's $50 right there for you. Now, what are you going to do? It's free play money, right? Of course it is. You got to win it to earn it. And that's where we get in to Pillsy's Parlay of the Day. Guys, it's been a rough week, and I apologize. It's been close. We've had a couple one-goal games, but the parlay has not worked out this week. So we're going to keep it simple for Friday, try to end off on a high note. You know, just like the Ottawa Senators season, didn't start so great, but you want to finish on a strong note. All right, guys, so Friday's Pillsy's Parlay of the Day. Washington Capitals up against the Philadelphia Flyers. It's been a tough one for the Flyers. They have the worst Goals against average in the entire league. They've been struggling lately. So I think Washington's going to beat up on them after. They've had some pretty big moral victories, let's be honest, over the New York Rangers beating them up on the score sheet and on the ice. We're going to take their money line at minus 178. And then let's go to the reigning Stanley Cup champions up against the Dallas Stars. Now, this one I actually was on the fence about because Dallas has been playing hot lately. They've got Tyler Sagan back in the lineup, so that's a big boost for them. And they're still fighting for a playoff spot. They have an opportunity to get that fourth spot. I don't think it's going to happen, though. And Tampa's going to be a reason why. So I'm taking their money line at minus 150. Put $10 in, and you're going to win right around $16. Guys, Let's have a nice, easy two-team parlay. Let's get some green numbers in the account so we can start back fresh for Monday. That is Pillsy's parlay of the day. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action and don't forget the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. All right, Pillsy. So not only are the Ottawa Senators in action in Winnipeg tomorrow, but the Belleville Sens are playing tonight against the Laval Rocket. They're going to be without Cody Golubev, who was just called up to the taxi squad for Ottawa, but they will have reinforcements in the likes of Ridley Gregg, who returns after dominating the WHL bubble. What are your expectations for his return to pro hockey? I expect him maybe not to continue dominating, which is what I was going to say, but to play a big role in this Belleville team. Like we saw at the start of the year, and mind you, similar to their big brothers in Ottawa, the Belleville Senators had a brutal start to the season. I mean, it was it was real bad. And he was a big part of the offense, the little offense that they had. In four games, he had two assists, so he looked good out there. He was playing a top six role. Uh, Troy Mann had so many good things to say about him, and Ross, when he went back to the WHL, we said anything less than domination would be a failure. And Ridley Gregg pulled through for us. Like we we chatted with him while he was in the bubble in Saskatchewan and he sounded confident as ever. He wanted to get on the ice as often as possible. And you can tell why. 21 games with the Brandon Wheat Kings this season, 10 goals, 22 assists, good for 32 points in 21 games. So he's coming back to Belleville feeling good. And I expect him to continue what he was doing in the AHL at the start of the season. Only he's got probably a little more size, a little more strength, and he's got some games that matter under his belt where before he hadn't played competitive hockey in quite a while. He was the quarantine King of team Canada. So now he's back and he's ready. No question about that. All four of his games had been in the AHL against Laval. So it'll be no different from him. He mentioned how strong it was going up against a guy who has a ton of NHL experience. Maybe not a ton, but Jordan Wheel's been up and down over the years. So he said that was the guy who's kind of matched up against on face So we'll see if that matchup continues. He had two assists 
in the four games with Belleville. At the start of the show, I mentioned Robbie Yarventi. So it turns out he's out of quarantine on Saturday, not playing. So it'll be Tuesday that we get to see Yarventi make his pro debut, but it'll be great for, for him to get into the lineup and see how Troy Mann uses him. He'll get six games at the end of the season, whereas Ridley Gregg playing tonight will be seven math guy as well. And since we're talking about youth and, and guys jumping into pro hockey, let's finish off the show talking. We got to get some stick taps, of course, to team Canada. Always great to see them bring home championships at no matter what level they won against Russia last night in the world under 18s, lots of great draft eligibles. And not only that, but the future is so bright for team Canada hockey. Shane Wright was the captain of this team. He's 16 years old. And the guy who scored the, the game opening goal and really was just a stud all game. Connor Bedard is 15 years old. It's, it's truly remarkable what uh, when you think about what they could be at the next level. Uh, Ottawa boy, Brant Clark, a guy who could be a sentence draft pick uh, this upcoming draft. He was a star. He was named best defenseman in the tournament. So lots of good stuff there. And we're going to have Tony Ferrari on, on Tuesday's show. And we're going to have a full breakdown of that. And hey, Pilsy. It's come again. It's uh, draft season already. Yeah, we're going to get the prospect profiles going. Not as extensive as last season, as last season. That was arguably the draft of the franchise, right? Like that's, if not the biggest draft, then top three for the Ottawa Senators in their franchise history. So we were dialed into that one. This one, not as monumental, but there's still going to be a top 10 pick. And with the way the lottery works, who knows where the Sens will end up. So it's going to be exciting for sure. And I'm glad they were able to get that U18 tournament going because those poor kids that were in the OHL, that just sucks to not have an opportunity. So at least some of them got a handful of games and got to get uh, in the scouts' eyes. Yeah, I believe there's going to be some sort of showcase again before the draft for those OHL kids. We'll ask Tony about that as well. We'll also be back on Monday for a full recap of the weekend that was. And join us in our locker room, 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Have a great weekend. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.